This is Sasha. And this is Eli. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to, to WGXC Acre. A Kind of Ache is a multimedia installation and concert from composer Sarah Hennies, sculptor and conceptual artist Terry Berlier, and electroacoustic duo The Living Earth Show that reimagines a world designed from and for a queer identity. It's at RPI's Impact on January 27th from 7 to 10 p.m. And you can find more about this performance from composer Sarah Hennies, sculptor and conceptual artist Terry Bellier, and The Living Earth Show at RPI's MPAC on the WGXC community calendar online at wgxc.org. WGXC underwriting support is provided in part by SunCommon, supporting vibrant communities across New York for 15 years, offering custom solar installations for homes, farms, and businesses. Information at suncommon.com. WGXC is made possible in part by the generous ongoing support of Alana Medlock of Kingston, New York. WGXC's sustaining supporters are among the station's most dedicated listeners. They care deeply about Creative Community Radio, and their investment helps to sustain WGXC as a public platform for information, experimentation, and engagement in Greene and Columbia counties. Become a WGXC sustaining supporter today. Go to WGXC.org and click Donate. Thank you for your support. Welcome to Dim the Lights with Jenny and Amanda. Here we are on this fine Tuesday night. We're a show where we talk about movies. We're every second and fourth Tuesday of the month. Hi, Jenny. Hi, Amanda. It's nice to be back in the Hudson studio here on WGXC. Um, And as always, we have a theme for tonight. Tonight's is a little different. We're going, uh, the theme is just a director instead of a genre theme. Ooh. Yeah, very exciting. (laughs) But before we get into the theme, we're going to tell you all about what's playing in the theaters around these parts. I'm going to start and tell you what is playing at the Wyndham Theater in Wyndham, New York. We have A Man Called Otto, Avatar The Way of Water, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, and Megan. You can find out more about showtimes at WyndhamTheater.com. That's W-I-N-D-H-A-M Theater.com. And now I shall tell you it's playing at the Crandall Theater in Chatham. We have The Fablemans, Charlotte's Web, EO, RRR, Corsage, and Hopper, an American Love Story. And you can find those specific showtimes at crandalltheater.org. Gorgeous. I'm going to tell you next about what's playing at the Spotlight Cinema in Hudson, New York. That's the movie theater on Fairview Avenue. We have The Whale. Missing, Plane, I really want to see Plane, <laughs> A Man Called Otto, Skinamarink, Megan, Avatar The Way of Water, and Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. And you can find out more about showtimes at SpotlightCinemas.com. All right, and now I'm going to tell you what's playing at Upstate Films. So at the Orpheum Theater, which is the location in Saugerties, we have Trouble in Paradise, Tar, Everything Everywhere All at Once, A Man Called Otto, The Fablemans, Corsage, and When You Finish Saving the World. And then over at the Star Cinema in Rhinebeck, we have Trouble in Paradise, Living, The Whale, and Broker. And you can find the specific showtimes at the particular theaters at upstatefilms.org. Amazing. Also at Upstate right now, or... I think maybe starting in February. I just I know this because I just went to see a movie there. They're having uh, 80s family (gasps) movies. Ooh, fun. So they're playing Never Ending Story and The Karate Kid. Oh, my God. And My Neighbor Totoro. Yeah. And I know that they're um, playing at both locations. I think each of those movies just has one night only um, for each location. They love to do a one-off showing there, which is so exciting. Exactly. But like Jenny said, you can find out more about that at upstatefilms.org. 
It's it's nice. I feel like they also usually do this around Oscar time. They start to bring back the like Oscar uh, nominated movie. So like everything everywhere all at once is there again, which is oh, like pretty yeah. exciting so if you fun. missed it the first time. Oh. Um, all right. So I'm going to tell you last but not least about what's playing at TSL Theater in Hudson. Um, they always have a very extensive menu, but now playing is this week is The Whale. Uh, Bernardo Bertolucci's The Conformist, Broker, Cezanne, Portraits of a Life, and that's it for this week, but you can find out more about what's playing for the rest of the month of January and in February at timeandspace.org. Hooray. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Wow. There's a lot of movies out still somehow. It feels like they just keep making them. I know. Every day. It's somehow... You know, we're never going to run out of movies to talk about because they just keep making them. They won't stop. I feel the same way about shows when anyone's ever surprised that I haven't. Like someone recently was like, oh, you've never seen Atlanta? And I was like, yeah. There's like a million shows. so many shows. I do hear Atlanta's really good, though. I hear it's great. You know what else I I hear is great is The Wire. (laughs) I've never seen The Wire. (laughs) Famously. Famously, The Wire is beloved, and I've never seen it. Um, There's There's a lot out there. They just, yeah, they won't stop, like you said. Uh, <laughs> Somebody stop somebody them. Somebody stop them. Oh, my God. Um, so, Jenny, tonight, what's our theme? Well, we've talked for a long time about doing a sub-series in our show called From the Director's Chair. <laughs> <laughs> and we thought, who better than to be our first director from the director's chair than our personal fave, Brian De Palma. Oh, we love him so much. I also, it's funny saying from the director's chair out loud sounds like we're going to talk about, um, <laughs> you know, like ways of uh, uh, telling a story. Like, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. We don't know anything no. about that. Um, yeah, so Brian De Palma, uh, he's amazing. Jenny, you probably know some more deets because you watched that documentary i did last night i watched a documentary called De palma which is a um a24 movie from like five or six years ago uh that's was made by noah bombach and what was the other guys oh, um he uh the son of somebody famous yeah because he paltrow is his paltrow, last yes is yeah. jake paltrow, jake paltrow? Yeah. yeah i didn't look up to see if he is actually related I to bet he is Gwyneth but I assumed I assumed yeah. when I saw the name I was like that's an acting sure. family yeah. um, but so it's a it's a movie which is nothing more than a camera affixed on Brian De Palma as he goes through every movie he's ever directed and tells like a funny story about each of them Ugh. and I have to say riveting like I was so I I've been like the other movies that I watched for this were great, and I was riveted by all of them. But, like, there are moments where your attention wanders watching anything. Totally. I was, like, shocked by how engaging I found <laughs> this movie to be. Ugh. Like, sometimes you just want to hear an old guy tell stories about Hollywood in the 80s. And you're like, wow, what a crazy place that yeah, was. so fun. Exactly. So, yeah, I would say, like, the height, the meat of his career is in the 80s. Yes. He started out in the late 70s. Or, or his 60s. First, yeah, or, that's what I meant, late 60s. Um, and we've both talked about on this show before some of his favorites mm-hmm. that we love from the 70s. Which yeah. is kind of where most of the De Palma movies that I've already seen, like Sisters mm-hmm. and Phantom of the Paradise, are from the 70s. Um, so... Yeah, I can give you a little bit of background about him, which is that he was born in northern New Jersey, which you can tell as soon as you hear him talking because he's got he definitely has that like New Yorker, New Jersey tri-state area accent. Oh, I'm so glad. Which is like very nice. Very nice to hear. Very nice. Um, And the he it's the documentary is really funny because he's just telling stories. So like any information you glean about him is from him telling you something else so there's a you know he's describing i want to say carrie or dress to kill i can't remember but he's talking about being really comfortable with blood because his dad was an orthopedic surgeon and so he was like oh yeah i was around buckets of blood all the time (laughs) dude really has quite the relationship with his dad because if you're familiar with brian de palma at all um and if you're not, I'm going to tell you, uh, a lot of his movies heavily feature voyeurism, mm-hmm. um, some kind of voyeuristic aspect. And what I did learn about him 
um, is that his dad, he did not have a close relationship with his Mm -hmm. dad and his dad had a lot of extramarital affairs and he would follow his dad. Oh my God. Yes. I film his dad having these affairs. Yes. Yeah. There's a, he describes a time where he like followed his dad, like he'd been following and filming his dad for weeks while he was having an affair with this woman and then like confronted him at work by like breaking the window to his office building and breaking in and then being like where is she what are you doing and like the woman that he was having an affair with was like hiding in the closet and he like exposed them to his mother because he was just like he was he felt so betrayed by it like of course yeah Uh, it's just such an interesting I was like oh my god that makes perfect sense yeah because one of the movies that we both watch as our new our new exciting thing that we're doing is we're both watching one of the same movie exactly so if you've listened to our show before usually what we do is Jenny and I watch we pick a theme and then we watch movies separately before we air um, and when we get on the air we talk about these movies and it's exciting for us because we get to hear the surprise of what we watch but yes like Jenny said we're picking one to watch that's the same and we chose dress to kill yes that's how I learned this fact yes um, so I guess maybe we should talk about yeah, dress to let's, kill. let's get into dress to kill let's get in there why not okay so dress to kill is Hold on, let me pull up the year. It's from 1980. There we go. It's from 1980. Um, and Dress to Kill is <laughs> a sleazy king. It, open, it opens with a, a scene, a shower scene of a woman touching her naked body pleasurably in the shower, and it turns into an assault fantasy. Um, <laughs> yeah. and she's watching her husband shave. Yeah, exactly. So it's just it's it's just this woman having a sexual fantasy in the shower. So that's how it opens. <laughs> um, but it's about a uh, under pleasured housewife um, <laughs> who has a teenage son, and um, it yeah opens with like so she she. See, is seeing a therapist to talk about the ways in which she's sexually frustrated in her marriage. Um, and she does end up having an affair, which is this incredible scene where she goes to the Met. It takes place in New York City. She goes to the Met and she's sitting at a bench in front of a painting. And this guy sits next to her and uh, the palpable like kind of one way sexual tension mm-hmm. like going from her to him you just you know how frust- sexually frustrated this woman is and like if you're kind of a pervy person like myself <laughs> like you know the feeling of sitting next to someone and you want them to notice you sexually <laughs> <laughs> um it's she's so incredible in this scene and then it becomes this really fascinating incredible um chase through the museum as he gets up and she starts to follow him and then she drops a glove and goes looking for the glove and he's following her but anyways yeah they end up hooking up but she gets murdered by a mysterious blonde with sunglasses in the elevator of this building on her way out of his apartment after they've after they've slept together exactly um and they so just to pick up where amanda's left off so that woman is played by Angie Dickinson, and so this she is slashed by a woman in a trench coat and a, where, uh, who's blonde, wearing mm-hmm. sunglasses, uh, with a razor. A straight and razor, yeah. And right as the doors open, there's another blonde woman there who sees this happening, and she's mm-hmm. like, oh my god, what's going on? And suddenly you have the scene with three blondes in an elevator. Three blondes in an elevator. Uh, and this woman who witnesses the murder is Nancy named... Nancy Allen. Is Nancy Allen, and her character's name is Liz. And she uh, reaches out to try and, like, stop it from happening or just, like, reach out, reaches out to, like, grasp the hand mm-hmm. of Angie Dickinson's character. Uh, and the doors close on them. And the only thing that she gets is the razor. Mm-hmm. And so then it becomes this. Uh, it's It just kind of, like, everything switches. And we're no longer focusing on this housewife anymore. And Liz is suddenly the main character, played by Nancy Allen, mm-hmm. um, who is basically kind of investigating this murder that she's witnessed yeah. because uh you know she's found holding the razor blade and so everybody's like what just happened to you and she's um like a high class call girl yeah and so she's kind of already like when she's pulled in as a witness she's kind of already in trouble because she's a sex worker and the detective is like well you're the one who had the razor so i'm gonna put you under arrest unless you can 
figure this out in yeah. time. And she teams up with the uh, teen son of the deceased woman who, and this is where, like, I read that, you know, that character mm-hmm. is kind of the De Palma in yeah. the story in some ways. Yeah, totally. Because, um, yeah, like, teen son, d- close to his mom, and he's really into filming. Yes. And taking photos. So he and Liz team up to try to figure out what's up with this. Um, and they figure out that it's probably another patient of the psychiatrist that the deceased woman was seeing. Um, <laughs> and so uh, he, the kid whose name is... I know, I forget his name. I have it written down, but not anywhere handy. He's played by... Um, Nope, don't have that written down either. Anyway, <laughs> this teenager, <laughs> he uh, he he sets up a camera to watch um, the the psychiatrist's office door. Who the the psychiatrist is played by Michael Caine, also mm-hmm. by the way, mm-hmm. uh, and he is basically like catching all of this footage of people coming in and out. And they realize there's a woman who leaves wearing a black trench coat and sunglasses, who's blonde who was like the last appointment of the day on this one day. And in between all of this also like uh, Liz, who's a character played by Nancy Allen feels like she's being watched and followed by the same woman. Mm-hmm. Like she's like, I keep seeing her everywhere. There's like this incredible subway chase scene oh, so good. where um, she's trying to get home <clears throat> from something. And she notices that the woman is in the car behind them. And so she was like, come on, cabbie, let's get going. Yep. And like, they have like a cute little rapport where the cabbie's like, well, I'll get you where you're going. Uh, but then she like gets out and runs down to the subway and it turns out that this woman is still following her the mm-hmm. whole time. And so there's like, there, there's just this incredible, De Palma is so good at these like long, no cut scenes where somebody is like walking through, uh, a, like either a building, like, in, like in the museum scene earlier, or in this case, and through the subway yeah. where you just like, he establishes all of the different places so that you're really aware of where everything is mm-hmm. and that way he can just kind of like set the scene for things to get really really tense yeah so this woman liz gets on the subway well she gets down into the subway station because this woman is following her and like goes and just kind of like stands near these guys who she thinks will not you know will be like kind of scary i guess yeah and then they're like hey what are you doing and yeah. they kind of start to threaten her so then she like jumps on the subway and they're following her and this woman is following her and she's like trying to find some kind of safety but like the subway the lights flicker out all the time the only person who's there is like one of the guys who works on the subway who does not care and like like she like starts she starts like fighting with him (laughs) and so it's like very very tense because you keep seeing this woman in the background who's just watching her the whole time and so um basically she and the teenager did you look at yeah the um the character's name is peter miller peter. and he's played by keith gordon yes and so she and peter start to put to, put the pieces together that like this woman who's the murderer is one of the psychiatrist patients and so they concoct a plan together where she's like look i'm gonna sneak in and get this information from him in a way the only way that i know how which yeah. is like seducing him yeah. <laughs> and so she goes in and Peter is outside watching to try and make sure that she's okay. Mm -hmm. And she undresses in front of Michael Caine to be like, let me just slip into something more comfortable. Do you want to sleep with me? To distract (laughs) him so that she can go look at his appointment book and get the information of who this person is. And when she comes back, it's revealed that the murderer was none other than Michael Caine, who is cross-dressing as a woman. Mm-hmm. And this movie is maybe, I don't know if there's if this has actually been coined, but like transploitation is the word that I want to casually wow. use. Oh, yes. It's kind of, because yes. there is a, um, it's funny, it's one of those things that you see kind of like fairly frequently in 70s and 80s movies where yeah. like there's a villain who's trans or uh-huh. like what we understood as trans at that time exactly. and there's this really interesting thread running through this movie where you know for a long time that the woman who 
killed Angie Dickinson in the elevator is trans. Yeah. Um, because Michael Caine talks about her. Exactly. Her name is Bobby. Yeah. And it's like this very interesting. And talks about her early on. Talks about her very trans. early on. Yeah. And she and he's like, that's she's one of my patients. And like she she is at this mental hospital, but she doesn't leave there. So there's no reason that she could have done this. Um, and he goes to like consult with somebody at that mental hospital, but it turns out in the end he was always Bobby, yep. but he doesn't know it. He's like not quite aware of her. Yeah. It's like another personality. Yeah. And so it's like this very interesting, it's, it's weird because it's more thoughtful than a lot of other transploitation movies yeah, are. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, it's not, it's not generous. It's not necessarily appropriate, mm-hmm. but it isn't thoughtless no it's definitely like and you can tell this movie was like very clearly inspired by psycho in a lot of ways yes, like and it's like he says as much yeah so, totally yeah. like it's very brian topama's like everybody keeps comparing me to hitchcock fine here you go and like hands you it's like shut up yes. i made psycho again how's exactly. that exactly which is where like the correlation of the split personalities right yeah. like norman bates is his mother as yeah, well totally. um or is his own mother yeah. slips into the personality of his own mother right um and yeah the the way that the consulting psychiatrist that michael kane speaks to um who is the current psychiatrist of bobby yeah also michael kane yes <laughs> um Oh my god, where was I going with that? Yeah, like um like he oh, the way he explains it toward the end of the movie is that um like these two beings live within one person mm-hmm. and and when uh Michael Caine's psychiatrist character feels turned on, Bobby takes over because she gets upset and murders the objects of Michael Caine's desire. Right, yeah. (laughs) To try and eliminate them. Yeah, exactly. And it is, like, it's very interesting. um, Just, it's, so it's from 1980, so it's not like, I I wasn't expecting anything to be particularly progressive, but Mm -hmm. I do find it very interesting. Like, there's this scene where um, Liz and Peter are having lunch in, like, a a big skyscraper or something. Yeah, like, right at the end of the movie. Um, and, And it's, like, very funny because this movie has like a lot of really incredible scenes where there's no dialogue and then they'll have like a debriefing scene where they're like so what just happened let's yeah, talk about exactly. it exactly <laughs> so what is a trans person right yeah. yeah and so and so uh liz like explains what like being transsexual means to yeah. peter and the, neither of them like it's not a very not like fun of right it. it's not like a judgmental no conversation it's very much a like here's this experience that and isn't it wild that this person also was the person who murdered your mother but like while she's explaining it to peter there's like a gag reaction of like the people (laughs) having a meal next to them yeah which is which is really funny because like the thing that's comedic about it is there's like an old woman at the table behind them who's like reacting badly to this information yeah. and like she's the element of comedy in it kind of where like yeah. you are meant to laugh at her reactions not at like the information exactly. that Liz is giving which I found to be like shockingly refreshing which right? is like oh okay right? there's also early <laughs> early on before you you know about um you know before anything really with the crime is mm-hmm. revealed there is a classic Brian De Palma split screen yep. scene, which he's a big fan of, where both um, Michael Caine's psychiatrist and uh, Nancy Allen's Liz are wa- both watching an episode of the Phil Donahue mm-hmm. show um, with a trans woman on it. And that's a real episode of the yeah. show. Um, and I think in a podcast I listened to earlier about Brian De Palma, they mentioned that it might have been one of the first like public television like yeah. interviews with a trans woman. Um and yeah, they're both watching this TV program, which is also very informational and yeah, like not totally. framed in a way that is like supposed to be shocking yeah. or like a freak show thing. You yeah, know? it's like very shockingly humane, which yeah. is like not what you would expect from the time at all. Yeah, um, especially because there have been movies since then that are way like much less humane yeah. towards trans people, and yeah. so it's it's just like um, I found it. Something that I thought was really interesting was the summary for Dress to Kill is about, it's like, uh, a woman witnesses the murder of a housewife by a tall, mysterious blonde. And I was like, why are they, why is her height important? And then I was watching it and I was like, oh, that's oh. Why I see you were trying to like, <laughs> like indicate to me something about this, I guess. Like you were trying to like gesture like, wow, she sure is tall, isn't she? She <laughs> sure like, is tall. What? 
but all that being said, Dress to Kill is just an incredible movie. Like, it's kind of shockingly... I don't know. I mean, obviously we're Brian De Palma heads, but, like, uh, I... Like I said, I watched that documentary, De Palma, um, where he... It's, it's primarily him talking about, like, craft and yeah. the reason... Like, every movie that he directed, that he also wrote, because there are plenty of movies that he directed that he didn't write, were all born out of, like, a visual idea that he had, and mm-hmm. he wanted to, like, make a movie about that visual idea. And for this one, it was, like, the concept of two people trapped in one body. Yeah. And that is such a... Like, I don't know, he's just so interested in the concept of, like, or or he's interested in using filmmaking to express an idea mm-hmm. and, like, just is so, like, so, um, I don't know, everything is so, like, carefully made, even yeah. though it is, like, ultimately kind of like a sleazy exploitation film at the end of the day. It's, yeah. like, beautifully constructed. Yeah, he's smart. Like, he's really good at making he's movies. Smart. Again, to bring up, so I listened to this podcast from, oh my god, what are they called? Um, hold on one sec, but I listened to, yeah, the Brian De Palma episode of the Film Comment podcast um, from June 3rd, 2016, and they were talking about, like, uh, people not wanting to admit that they enjoy his movies yeah. because there is an exploitative, um, sleazy aspect to them. So people feel guilty when they right. watch them. Like you feel guilty when you watch pornography totally. or something like that. Um, so people try to distance themselves yeah, totally. from it, but there's, there's, they're so rich. Like, so, yeah. Like they're excellent move. That's the other thing is that I, um, I learned from watching that documentary is that Dress to Kill and Body Double, of course, were mm-hmm. both um, picketed when they came out by, like, feminist groups. Of course. Because of the, like, violence against women depicted. But especially, like, Dress to Kill especially feels actually very, like, all of the female characters have such agency and yeah. have such, like, interesting characters. It does not feel... Oh, like, he's so into strong women. Yeah. And he's really into weak men. Yeah. yeah. And again, I think this is, co- <laughs> like, comes back to, like, hating his dad. Yeah, yeah like, dude. Like, <laughs> most of his movies that I've seen feature kind of, like, physically small yeah. sometimes, or, or like, like, like nervous yeah, totally. men and very tall, super hot women. Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, it's such an interesting, like, I also, the other thing... Um, I read I read an essay on the Criterion about this, which I will link to on our Instagram. That is called uh, it's called "Dress to Kill: The Power of Two by Michael Koreski, and he mentions specifically the scene of Angie Dickinson getting slashed in the elevator. Uh And I thought about this while it was happening too, where it's like she has just had an, an extramarital affair. Because she is not satisfied in her relationship. And the instant that she leaves that guy's apartment, she's killed. And yeah. I was like, ah, revenge. Like, it's she deserves it, right? It's like punishment for, yeah. her, for her transgression. And in this essay, he talks about that as, like, Brian De Palma is, like, pointing towards that on purpose. Where it's yeah. like this, she is being punished for this. But it's not because of what she actually did. It's like, you want to see her get punished. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, it's very much like confronting the viewer with this concept. Because also, like... She's not just slashed once. Like, she's slashed a lot well, in the also, elevator. Right before she's murdered, she learns that she's contracted a venereal uh, Yeah, totally. And so it's, like, it's very much a, like, it's almost, like, comedic how much yeah. she's, like, oh, well, you had sex with this guy, and now it's, like, you, <laughs> you've you got an STI, and you're going to die. Exactly. And, like, I think when people don't come into viewing De Palma movies with a critical mind, they they miss all this yeah like they totally miss the reason those things are present in his story right like he's doing um, it on purpose he absolutely is he which i appreciate too i feel like so many movies now are made like i'm an idiot yeah totally and like <laughs> yeah. brian de palma is smart and also thinks i'm smart right like he's <laughs> trusting you to be like look i'm gonna show you like a, a naked woman's body but also like you're gonna have to think about it yeah and it's very like that's very much what his movies like make you do anyway yeah. like i can't it's so funny to me to like watch these and be like it's filth and it's like it is very sleazy but yeah. also it's like sleazy with a purpose it's sleazy with which a is purpose. why it's so fun like it, it wouldn't be such a rich and like exciting viewing experience if it was that empty yeah and it's just like it works because it's so interesting yeah uh, uh, yeah there's lots Ryan. of lots of um 
weak men and dangerous sex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sex um, is so dangerous. Sex is so, so dangerous. <laughs> Be careful. Uh, yeah, Dress to Kill is amazing. I do recommend, and I can also link to the podcast I listened to about um, his career. I wanted to listen to more, but they had a lot of good stuff to say about Dress to Kill. And yeah, like the subway scene that you talked mm-hmm. about too. Um, yeah, it's, it's uh, really like, so the when Nancy Allen's Liz goes into the subway and she's hassled by this group of young men, they're black men. Mm-hmm. And it's like, De pa- they, they chalk it up to De Palma. It's like a misdirection of where the danger is coming right, from. Totally. Like they, De Palma is, is, is kind of making fun of, which I guess he does in some of his earlier work. They may bring up the movie Hi mom, which I yeah. haven't seen. Um, he's using it. Yeah. As this like, where liberal fear is yeah you know? totally. <laughs> like actually lying yeah but what i learned from De Palma is that there's a scene in hi mom where um he films he like made that with other people or no i guess maybe it might have been a different one anyway doesn't matter um where he films a group of yeah. white people yeah. who are who are like trapped in an elevator with like black liberationists mm-hmm. and are like forced to ex- like quote unquote experience like what it is to be black in, yeah. in America at that time yeah and so they're all like demeaned and like yelled at and like threatened in this way that is like and and they're all they're all freak out about it yeah um and so like his his earlier movies have this like political context yeah where like exactly. he is like absolutely thinking about that and he's, he's also like he also made a bunch of anti-war movies in the 60s yeah. and so it's just like and later and so it's like he it can feel definitely on the surface. Like I also, I watched that scene in Dress to Kill and was like, what am I supposed to think here? I'm not sure. Yeah. And so I think um, like it could probably be illustrated with a little bit more nuance. Oh, for, for sure. sure. For but sure. So these are much things about that are it could have. for sure on his mind. Yeah. Like absolutely. Which is so great. Yeah. I think, you know, and again, like a lot of older movies, a lot of movies in general, um, there for people who I mean uh, a lot of things get picked apart in a way that they don't need to be when we're mm-hmm. talking about not like not trying to say like political correctness but you know what I mean like, <laughs> yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. you know no um, I think um, a lot of things require a second uh, thought yeah and exactly. there's often like a um, a reactionary um reaction <laughs> reactionary <laughs> reaction yeah. uh to movies that like confront uncomfortable things yeah and brian de palma is absolutely a guy who's like making movies that have a lot of uncomfortable things in them and it's just like look at it just take a look just look at it just i don't know just think bit. about what you want but like look at it for yeah. a second exactly and that is the thing about movies is you get to think whatever you want like that's you know whatever right. like not to not to remove all responsibility from a filmmaker because there is absolutely like an amount of thoughtfulness that should go into creating something that is going to be seen by lots of people yes but there is also like i really like when movies treat you like an adult yeah (laughs) like you were saying earlier where it's like i am a person with thoughts and i can interpret this in a way that's like uh like offers more grace to the filmmaker yeah you know exactly i think a lot can can really get thrown out when just the like surface value of the content right. is, is hardly examined and like stripped away yeah you know? we love to uh, see a critical reading we simply uh, love it we love simply love it <laughs> we simply love dress to kill we it's love great. dress to kill it was so fun it's so fun i really um, liked it there's also sorry this is like a non-consequential oh. back to back to like classic dim the lights something i really like about it is that um there's two shower scenes in it one at the beginning and one at the end both are fantasies yes. basically um, and in neither one, the woman washes their hair. Both of them keep their hair bone dry oh, in the shower. You <laughs> gotta keep incredible. it bone dry. People simply did not wash their hair no, in the no, 80s. No, 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 You gotta <laughs> keep that permanent. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and I think also, uh, so on the Wikipedia for Dress to Kill, at the very least, De Palma, I guess in an interview in 2016, was like, yeah, I know Dress to Kill like, probably wasn't great for the transgender Yeah, community. totally. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm like okay. Yeah, I'm glad you said that. Yeah, for real, an acknowledgement. Yeah, we love to see it. That's cool. It's one of those ones that I wonder and wanted to do more reading about this because 
I imagine that Dressed to Kill has a pretty significant place in like the queer canon and like wondering how like if or how it's been reclaimed at all um I like I remember I'm sure I've seen something about it in the past because I've seen so many like queer documentaries but uh and like the scene in the elevator particularly like looked really familiar to me Mm -hmm. but I would love to do more reading about that if anybody out there in the world has any thoughts or recommendations because for for, like reading about like um like trans reception of dress to kill because like yeah to our modern eyes it's obviously like quite regressive but compared to other things other contemporaries of it yeah it's shockingly progressive in a way and it's obviously i was not alive in 1980 but like to to my modern eyes i'm like "Mm, actually like not not as bad as it could have been not as bad as many other movies no again it's not thoughtless at all yeah um all about the self there's that movie is full of mirrors yeah so many mirrors and mirrors. like like yeah the split screen and like the just he also uses a, a thing called the diopter effect where which is when mm. which I just, as soon as i learned about it i was like oh my god that's in literally all of his movies where it's like a split screen but you have a shot where there's somebody very close to the camera and somebody very far from the camera and they're uh, both in focus I love so you that. see both of them reacting to something at the same time um and like that that happens in dress to kill a bunch where there's like liz is in the forefront and um bobby is in the background and like both of them turn to look the same direction at the same time and they're both in focus and they're both like blondes with big beautiful hair uh and it's just it's such an interesting um i don't know just like a really interesting framing choice where like man movies can be made so well (laughs) you can can look at every image can be rich and isn't that nice (laughs) he de palma's got a lot of tools in his toolbox yeah for real um yeah i guess the quote from this 2016 interview which is from an article from entertainment weekly called brian de palma on how he depicts women in his films by joe mcgovern uh de palma says quote I don't know what the transgender community would think of the film now. Obviously, I realize that it's not good for their image to be transgender and also be a psychopathic murderer. (laughs) Not ideal. But I think that perception passes with time. We're in a different time. He added that he was, quote, glad that the film had become, quote, a favorite of the gay community. I love that. Which he attributed to its, quote, flamboyance. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it is. It's very queer. Like, a lot of his movies, this dude makes, like, Baroque-ass queer movies, like. Super, like I, I have really. Can I tell you about the other movie that yeah, I watched? No, I'm because sorry, this is a great I know, transition. We got, we got so into I know, talking about Dress to Kill. It's time to talk which, about like, our other. I'm movies. not like done, but I know, I know. Could the, go on forever. The other movie I watched, I actually did watch Passion, <laughs> which is from 2012. It's his most recent movie. Yeah, he hasn't done anything in a while. Um, it's definitely like late era Brian De Palma. We are not going to be able to cover his whole career because this dude has made a million movies. He's made so many. We're going to have to do a part two, which I yeah. am not mad about. Absolutely fine. Which like the other thing I forget, like I associate him so much with his like sleazy uh, erotic thrillers of the 70s and 80s, as I'm sure you do too, mm-hmm. that like I forgot he also directed like Mission Impossible. Yeah. And Scarface. Yeah. Like, what? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So crazy. So for those of you who maybe are like, who are they going on about? <laughs> his big blockbuster kind of hits are carrie mm-hmm. scarface carlito's way, way the untouchables yep. are the and yeah. mission impossible are yeah the big 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 de palmas that dude just like could not stop it was he was a contemporary of all of like the big 70s and 80s filmmakers like steven spielberg like they were best he was like best friends with steven spielberg yeah. in the 80s yeah um and so i watched so he like he took a break from the erotic thriller for a while is what i'm trying to say but yeah. then he came back in 2012 and he made this movie called passion which is not amazing, but it's a Brian De Palma movie. So even though it's kind of a not great Brian De Palma movie, it's better than a lot of other movies. I bet. <laughs> um, the reason that I watched it is because it's the most recent one and also because it's a lesbian erotic thriller. Yeah, <laughs> like, apparently it's a remake of a French movie. Yes, it uh, is a movie from two years. It's a movie that's from 2010. Oh, Passion's funny. from 2012. So it's like weird. But he like, he like changed what it was about kind of, right? Like it's about, Passion uh, is about tech technological attachment or like kind of so it's about um passion is complicated like a lot of these movies are Mm -hmm. and uh it is about two women who are like ad execs at an uh an ad agency in germany Mm -hmm. which i did not realize until like 20 minutes from the end of the movie when everybody started speaking in german and i was like what's happening (laughs) because i didn't have my subtitles turned on and i was like "Uh (laughs) uh-oh um but 
it's it's primarily about these two women who have a um pretty contentious relationship one is named christine and she is played by rachel mcadams and she's like her like the head honcho at this ad company and then numi rapace 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 i never know me neither plays a woman named isabel who's like her protege and so um the two of them are like at the very beginning of the movie they're like very close they're like very giggly they hang out after work um but then Rachel McAdams' character, Christine, takes credit for a, like, innovative new ad that Isabel created. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this creates, like, it starts this um, back and forth of them, like, backstabbing each other. But also they're, like, clearly kind of attracted to each other in this, like, really intense way. Mm-hmm. Christine is revealed to have, like, a very, like, kinky sex life and also to be, like, very manipulative. She's very much a... um what's her name from mean girls she's regina george like she is like she absolutely is like she's like very much like a bullying backstabbing but like friendly yeah (laughs) but also like yeah i'm gonna humiliate you in front of the whole company (laughs) yeah and so it's this kind of it's very it's actually very similar to dress to kill in some ways where like there are these scenes where um like these erotic fantasies that end in a slashed throat mm. and um numi rapace like imagining committing a murder and then waking up from the murder yep. like which happens in so many of his movies i love that he uses that as a shorthand he really he um, loves people imagining violence people imagining violence so i won't go into too much detail but it's basically about these two women like locked in this feud um, Isabel, who's Numi Rapace's character, also has a her own intern or her like um, assistant, who's uh, this woman named Danny, who's like clearly obsessed with her, and so it's all you know, it's obsession all the way up. Nothing <laughs> you can all do. the way up the ladder. All the way up the ladder, and so they get into this like complex plot where they're all humiliating each other at work, and um, there's one night where Isabel goes to see this dance performance, and in a classic. Brian De Palma split screen you get to watch the performance on the left and on the right you see Christine get home to her beautiful house and there's a note on the door that says like go upstairs shower and put on a blindfold I'll be there soon Uh and so because she's like a kinky freak she's like hell yeah this sounds great and so she goes and does that and as you're watching this like incredible ballet on the left you see her showering and she does get her hair wet and then she puts on a blindfold and you see it's like a POV shot, like a horror movie of somebody going up the stairs and then oh, hiding behind a door. No. And then they confront each other and it's Christine has her throat slashed and then Isabel wakes up and you're like, was it a dream? Was it real? Isabel was at the dance. But was what? How did this all happen? What could it be? And then there's like this murder plot where like Isabel's accused of it, but then she is eventually exonerated because um, Christine had like this boyfriend that Isabel was having an affair with, and there's a bloody scarf found in his car. But at the very end, sounds like a plant. It's a well evidence plant. Well, you would be right because it turns <laughs> out Isabel did kill her, yeah. and now she's trapped because she has been exonerated, and everybody is like so happy with her, except for her assistant Danny, <gasps> who knows what she did because she was following her around and filming her, and she's like, "Hey, Brian. say you love me." <laughs> And she's trapped her into a terrible, awful relationship. Oh, my God. That is so fun. It's so fun. It's like very it's like a crazy looking movie. Like there's a a part like halfway through where everything suddenly turns blue and there's like Dutch angles all the time. And I like really was. Oh my God. Uh, I love it's just a crazy so movie. Much. <laughs> it's so good. Like even this like movie that's not as good as his other ones is still uh, just riveting like it's just and he makes such like interesting visual choices that you're just like locked onto it anyway and you're like i don't know like this is weird but like all the interiors look crazy and everyone's doing a great job so i'm really here for it oh god it's so fun yeah and it's also like i mean i the other reason that i watched it was just because it felt like such a an interesting spectrum of like Brian De Palma's like queer villain where it's like we start with dress to kill and then here we are with passion here where it's like all these years later it's just still it still has such a like campiness to it that is but still like a sophisticated campiness <sighs> uh, passion is great I really I wouldn't recommend it to everyone but 
to, to those who are interested, I think you'd enjoy it. It sounds amazing. So I'm going to tell you about the only yes. other one I had time to watch. Yes, Unfortunately, yes. it was just one more. And I, it's a good bridge because it's also later career and not as good as his others. Like, mm. not as... Um, not as many like layers to dive into yeah. as some of the other ones. Um, I watched 1998's Snake Eyes. Oh God, I hope you did. <laughs> I was hoping so much that you did. Yeah, it was it was time. Um, so this is the movie that Brian De Palma did right after Mission Impossible. So it has that kind of same like, um, a little more like maybe a little bit less of the things that he is. The, the themes that he usually likes to explore and a little bit more of just like inner like pure entertainment mm-hmm. which is fine it's great because it's <laughs> still full of his like wild camera work it also takes place in new jersey mm-hmm. where he's from so snake eyes stars nicholas cage at, uh as um oh my gosh what is his name in it cheese um, I think his name is Rick. Oh yeah, Rick, Rick. Santoro Classic is a plainclothes police detective. So this movie takes place in Atlantic City, and it all happens. It's it's pretty much takes place all in one night, I think. Mm. So there is a tropical storm heading into Atlantic City, and it's battering away at this old arena casino that is about to be it's i think it's its last big event it's a fight night like a prize Mm -hmm. fight night with this older very famous boxer um fighting this other guy uh and it's oh what are their names um yeah lincoln tyler and uh the young guy is jose pacifico ruiz so lincoln tyler is like this big famous Mm -hmm. boxer um and this is the last big event for this casino before it gets shut down and totally redone and turned into a new high-end casino. Um, so uh, Rick Santoro, Detective Rick Santoro, Nicholas Cage has been called in to kind of work as security because there's some very like high-up political figures in the audience that night. Um, and he's meeting up with his friend... Um, U.S. Navy Commander Kevin Dunn, who is played by Gary Sinise. Ooh. Um, so they're good buddies, and mm-hmm. uh, Gary Sinise's character is the one who kind of called them onto the job. Um, the whole opening scene of this is like a one-shot situation. Maybe there's some sneaky cuts made when mm-hmm. it does some like really fast pans, yeah. and that might be like they might have edited that in to make cuts but for our purposes it's all one mm-hmm. shot this is a very classic like cage rage yeah Nicholas totally cage he's such a freak yeah. <laughs> um but so it's following him through this cr- wild building like chasing down like uh, he's clearly like you know uh kind of a sleazy detective who like knows all the drug dealers knows all the prostitutes like definitely has done some uh shady dealings mm-hmm. he knows everybody on the boardwalk whatever so he's like chasing down louise guzman who plays a <laughs> drug dealer and like putting a bet on the the fight and um while the fight is happening so in this amazing one shot scene during the height of the action you're not seeing the fight which is really cool like you're just i love that you're just watching the audience yeah and you're watching nicholas cage during the height of this fight which we do see later him being like what's what's going on come on like um uh there is an assassination attempt made on one of the political figures in the audience um and the rest of the night is Nicolas Cage, this corrupt cop, figuring out what happened. Uh, unfortunately, it turns out that his friend... You've seen this. No, but oh. I but they talked about it a lot in that documentary. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So his friend, Gary Sinise, um, Commander Dunn, has set up this entire assassination because that hot actress... Carla Gugino, yes. the oh mom God, from is, Spy Kids. Yeah, she's so hot. <laughs> <laughs> right before this guy was assassinated, she works for a weapons development company, 
and she had the Gary Sinise was part of a plot to doctor the results of this weapon so that it could get pushed through faster oh. and get okayed. But it's really dangerous. They don't really go into what it is. It's some right. kind of bomb, Doesn't whatever. Matter, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So Sinise wants to get it pushed through because he's also in cahoots with the guy who's going to build the next casino and they're right. going to share all the money, whatever. Like Ugh. crazy, crazy, yeah. crazy, crazy, crazy. Complicated, complicated, complicated. As always. Yeah. So, so fun. <laughs> um, and she was delivering the actual results of the weapons test to this guy. So that guy, <laughs> Defense Secretary Charles Kirkland, yep. <laughs> was killed. And then the next shot was intended for her. But the bullet grazes her. And we start out thinking that she is part of some plot. But we learn she's a good guy, whatever. Um, and everyone's getting chased through this huge oh, labyrinthian casino. So fun. Uh, it come the the final conclusion of it is really silly. Yeah. Like it's it's not disappointing, but there's this is what makes it kind of pure entertainment. Where I'm like, wait, how did that? Yeah. How, like, yeah, he's somehow you know Nicholas Cage comes to accept that he's been portrayed by his friend, um, uh, Commander Dunn. Mm -hmm. Even command. There's a scene where Commander Dunn comes clean and he's like, "You're such a schmuck. I really didn't think you were going to try to follow through with this. Like, yeah. you're so shady. Yeah. Why? So, like, how much? Why money do you care about this? Yeah, how much yeah. money is it going to take? Like, you've never said no to that. Like, right. I'll give you a million dollars if you just look like, the other on, way. Um, but Nicolas Cage, probably because that lady is so beautiful, decides like, no, this, he, the she, line stops here. Yeah, she's now <laughs> under his protection. Gary Sinise is obviously looking to kill her because she knows the truth. Right. And Nicolas Cage is like, I'm not going to give her up. Yeah. Where she is. Um, he's hit her in some little room at the edge of the the building and like a cop car smashes into it right before Gary Sinise is going to kill her so like the cops see him and Get him. he gets arrested. Yeah, Get it's him. very confusing. The, oh my god, the funniest thing because I haven't seen this movie, they talked about it and I'm going to be so fast. Oh no, And that right. documentary De Palma, he was like the original ending for that movie was there was like a massive tidal wave that was going to come and crash into the casino and there's and they show like the raw footage of it oh, where like there's my God. like a big wave crashing in and then like a big like globe that is I guess yeah. connected and it like rolls through and like Nicolas Cage has to like slam Carla Gugino against the wall to like protect them from the big globe and the globe squishes Gary Sinise. Yeah, which like would have been just as good because <laughs> it's yeah. just as silly. Right, totally. He was like, I struggle with ending sometimes. Yeah. He's like, got it, dude. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Heard. You really do. I yeah. actually did not look up if he's also the writer of this movie. Um, no, Snake so eyes. it's not Brian De Palma's screenplay, which makes sense. Right, yeah. You can tell when he's it's better. really like De Palma, De Palma. Yeah, totally. And this is De Palma, David Cope. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but I guess they did co-write the story or, uh, yeah. So snake eyes, extremely entertaining. Yes. Perfect. <laughs> I know. I really want to watch it. Um, I did not realize. So earlier in the movie, one of the operatives working with, uh, commander Don Gary Sinise's character is this hot redhead who is wearing a Ruby on her finger. Ooh. And at some point, uh, Gary Sinise because she knows too much also or she's been she's been found out to be connected to it by mm -hmm. Nicolas Cage so he kills her and her body is buried in cement Atlantic City style classic uh, and the end credits of this movie are so you know Nicolas Cage and Carla Gugino talking on the boardwalk and him being like I'm going to prison because yeah I was the hero of this night but then they like <laughs> took a closer look at me and they found out how shady I am Oops. so I'm going to prison yeah. um, and then they like inexplicably kiss because it doesn't make yeah it doesn't matter she's yeah. like well maybe when you get out of prison you can call me and they make out a little bit right. and I'm like this that's insane but sure. okay um, <laughs> and then it just zooms in on the construction guys that were behind them building the new casino and the, for the whole scrolling credits it just slowly zooms yes. and slowly zooms yes and slowly zooms until you see the ruby in the cement. Oh, my God. <laughs> so good. Um, which is so goofy. I love that. It's so silly. 
but I love it. It's so good. It's so good. Um, like, hey, remember her? Yeah, <laughs> She's exactly. Like, it's a wildly unimportant detail. Like, it's not like a no. To, it's just like, like look at the the, the corruption continues missed. though. Yeah. But like the next casino built on blood. Yeah. Exactly. Have you considered? Real have you considered? <laughs> I don't know if you know, but this is built on blood. Yep. It's not yep. good. Uh, and that's Snake Eyes. Snake Eyes. Wow. Sorry. Delightful. Complicated to explain. A lot of fun. That's how, I mean, it sounds like, it twisty, seems twisty. like all of his movies are like that. Like, the, of yeah. the ones that I've seen, I watched two other new ones that I'm not going to talk about, or only one other new one, and then I rewatched Body Double. Um, but, like, they're all massively complicated yeah, yeah exactly. and it's like it's just about these like long shots of somebody investigating something yeah. usually yeah. and like uh, a MacGuffin it yeah. doesn't matter but Bo- yeah ex- body doubles really complicated exactly like that's what's fun about watching them right is the as the story unfolds it it feels so complicated that it's ex- it's extremely entertaining extremely confusing you can't wait to find out and then right. the ultimate reveal is very simple yeah, it's like okay got it it yeah, was just like, it's almost always just like one guy betraying another guy yep, exactly <laughs> yep it's like there you go it was the best friend all along it's almost always the best friend all along exactly. classic can't trust gary sinise <sighs> you really can't trust sinise well this has been the brian de palma edition is it time to go it's pretty much time to go because we're gonna play a little song to get us out so we got like a minute or two to wrap ourselves up here that's true you know well, just a little bit can you just tell me the name of the show or the movie, the movie? Um, i watched the fury Ugh, the fury which was the one that. that i was like i feel like you would be really into this it's about i'm sure i would psychics yeah <laughs> it's yeah. very silly it yeah. opens with um kirk douglas and an actor who plays his son whose name I can't remember um, wrestling on the beach yes uh, and then it ends uh, no spoiler alert but with a character exploding and you get to it's just like 15 shots of that guy exploding and then the movie's over and it's great that sounds amazing it's so that great really... I'd really recommend the fury is like also needlessly complicated yeah. like one of I would say like less interesting than the other ones I've seen because it isn't it's another like not written by De Palma it's written yeah. by somebody else um so it's like way it's way less interesting but that being said it is about psychics and so it's pretty fun it definitely feels like a post carry somebody was like you'd do a good job at psychics here you go here you go <laughs> I am so excited yeah to watch more Brian De Palma I know I am so I'm so stoked to just like watch every single one of them mm-hmm. but uh yeah I hope that was uh fun for those of you who are not as familiar or who are big old fans um but this has been dim the lights with Jenny and Amanda we're here every other Tuesday well every second and fourth Tuesday every not second every other and Tuesday. fourth Tuesday of the mm-hmm. month seven eight seven eight you'll see us again in two weeks or so exactly maybe when we just do Brian De Palma part two. Just part two. Maybe that's what we're doing this time. <laughs> yeah, we just can't get enough of this guy. Keep the ball rolling. I know. I was actually surprised you didn't watch Femme Fatale. I know. I thought about it. I strongly thought about it. But then I, I wanted to I wanted to bookend Dress to Kill so bad. I with know. A, which, like, as soon as I saw that Passion was about lesbians, I was like, obviously. Gotta do it. Obviously, that's what I'm watching. Gotta there wasn't it. even a question. Uh, um, all right. Well, we will see you next time. Thank you so much for listening. Go ahead and watch yourself some good movies tonight. Bye.